Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 17. Before we do that, uh, I'm guessing most of them are probably in here. Who all do we have going to camp this week, our kids' camp? If y'all will stand up for me real quick, even the adults that are going with them. Just have everybody that's going to be serving at kids' camp or going to kids' camp this week just stand up real quick. Come on, don't be shy. All your friends are doing it. All right. Now you all can sit back down. I know Andrew's going too. Just wanted them to stand up so we could see because we're going to focus some prayer on them and that experience this week. And it's always helpful when we have some concrete images in our mind rather than just kind of vaguely, oh yeah, and those people that we don't know about that are going to camp. So we have some, some of our youth or some of our children uh, going to camp this week and some of our adults serving in that capacity. We want to remember them. So when we're done with this passage, we'll, we'll pray and we'll also put an emphasis on, on that experience as well. So Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 17, read along with me in your copy of God's Word. Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, as we gather here this morning, we gather to worship Jesus Christ, our Savior, your Son. God, we come to to experience and to know you, not based on the feelings that we have or the impulses of our hearts, the imaginations of our mind, the theories that we've come to concoct about religion and how that ought to work. God, we come with clear instruction, with clear explanation. We come, God, seeing a a picture of you revealed in your holy word. God, you have spoken you have declared yourself to us. You have declared truths about us, God, that are, that are true and unflattering, but necessary to hear and to know. And God, one of the things implied by this passage is that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. 
that we're born into uh, uh, this state, God. And, and if we had read all of Paul's letter up to this point, that, those points would be explicitly clear. That we are slaves to sin, that, that, that we are workers of iniquity, and we're earning the wages of sin prior to faith in Christ. And so here Paul is, is turning from that message of condemnation over all men, women, and children of every age and race and station in life. And he's saying now there's a, a way of salvation and it's through faith in Christ, but he's bringing it down to this crucial uh, implication. How are people going to hear about this Christ unless people are preaching? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? And so he, this is a turning point. It's a crucial, a crucial piece of what Paul's saying. It's a crescendo, so to speak, to this message that he's been giving. And so God, as we hear these words this morning, we think about the need of the gospel to be preached and understood so that lives can be changed and, and hearts can be uh, enlarged. God, and faith can be given and, and salvation can be granted. And so, God, we pray not only for this moment, the, the, these precious few moments that we have singing your word and worshiping through giving, God, and, and worshiping through listening attentively to your word and allowing it to be authoritative over our lives. But, God, we think about our, our young people, our, our children, God, that are going to camp this week. We're thinking, God, about their need for Christ because many of them have not made a profession of faith. And, and God, we, we, uh, we don't believe that we're born innocent. We don't believe that we get a pass because we're six or seven or eight and, and it's okay to not trust in Jesus when you're six or seven or eight because you're mostly good. We don't believe those things. We believe that they're dead and they're trespasses and sins and they're in need of Jesus Christ to save them. And so we want to set a perfect Savior in front of them here as we gather, God, in our Sunday school classes as we teach. But God, as they go to camp, we want them more than anything, more than the fun that they have and the memories they make, we want to set Christ before our children as the only hope of their salvation. So God, I pray that you would uh, awaken in, the, the, in our, our children's hearts just, God, a recognition of their lostness, their deadness in sin, that the weight, God, and this is going to sound maybe unkind, but I'm praying it, that you would cause the weight of their sins to burden them, that you would drive joy and peace and happiness out of their lives until they find them in Christ only. God, I want them to find joy and peace and happiness. But they will be, it will be false joy, false peace, false happiness that will disappoint and ultimately destroy if they seek them anywhere besides Christ. And so, God, we plead with you to save our children. We plead with you, God, that the gospel that we just read about, that gospel that is necessary for salvation, would be proclaimed not just by words, but, God, effectively by your spirit inwardly in the hearts of our kids, that they would hear the gospel and that they would receive it by faith. God, burden them. They are under condemnation, not being in Christ. And we pray that they, O oh God, would hear the gospel and be brought to faith, that you would save them, God, and make them new in Christ. God, we pray that we would faithfully, as much as we love them, that we would not draw back from declaring those truths. And we pray that we would be a church faithful to continue to set that message, that truth before our kids. God, we, but help us. Help us as parents to, to also believe what we just read, that our kids have no hope of salvation unless the gospel's declared. And God, may we be parents that don't slough that off on pastors and Sunday school teachers only. May we be those kinds of parents that preach the gospel in our own homes. We're not all called to pastor, but we are called to shepherd the souls of our children. And that, that, in, that requires teaching 
and pressing the gospel upon them in our homes. And so, God, give strength to every parent here that feels inadequate to do that. Give grace to every parent who's messed that up so far, God, to, to, to not continue to focus on the lost time, but to focus on the remaining time with their children. God, grant them strength and encouragement. God, help them to hear your word today moving forward not backwards that how will they hear unless one is sent so god may every parent here feel the burden of sentness to go and proclaim the gospel to their children and we ask these things O god for their salvation for the building up and strengthening of this body and for your glory O god from which for which we live and uh, and and work and strive we ask it all in christ our mighty savior amen have our ushers come forward this morning for our offering as they do I'm going to think about that line in that song, Christ has defeated every sin. And uh, that's why we're here this morning. We're, we're not here as, as good people who are here to express our goodness and show how good we are by coming to church. We're, we're here as sinners who are saved only by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. It's the good news. And uh, that's what we're here this morning to celebrate and to praise the Lord because of this reality. And uh, it's also why we, we give, uh, so that we can continue a ministry here uh, that, that proclaims the message of this free salvation, not only here, but as we support missionaries and uh, church planners here in the United States and missionaries all over the world. And uh, so that's what, what we're doing this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning and, and we are so grateful that you have defeated every sin. We're grateful, Lord, because many of us come this morning, even just thinking back through this morning, we, we come with, with sin on our mind and on our hearts. We, we do not come as those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Uh, Lord, we, we are those who have lifted our hearts to things that are false, even this week, even this morning. Lord, we, we come though in the name of Christ and, and it's that powerful name that we are given to come boldly into your throne room of grace. We, we can come in right now and pray to you because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so we praise you for this reality. God, we, we ask that as we give this offering this morning, we pray that you'd help us to be generous. And, and we do want to lift up those missionaries um, that we're supporting, Lord God. We, we pray that you would bless them. We, we pray that you'd give them boldness and clarity, Lord, that they would preach the gospel uh, wherever they are. And uh, we, we pray, Lord, uh, that you'd give them the, the words to speak in that particular context. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're coming near to the end. But we're not there yet. So we've got a couple couple more weeks this week and next week, Lord willing. And we should be finishing up in, in Ephesians. And, uh, you know, again, just a reminder, why, why do we do that? Why do we preach? A, a lot of times churches will, uh, pastors will just simply preach on whatever the Lord lays on their heart, whatever topic that, that they think is needed and, and pressing. But... Uh, the reason that we preach through books of the Bible is because we believe all the Bible is inspired and all of the Bible is profitable. And if I just tend to preach on whatever is sort of on my mind and heart, uh, I, there's going to be some things that I'm going to miss. And we want to dig into the Word of God 
It's also important because uh, the Bible's written in a context. And so sometimes when we just preach topically, we can take a single verse and preach on that verse and not really see it in the flow of thought. And, and in fact, that's one of the things that we're going to see this morning. Uh, we see Paul uh, soliciting the prayers of the Ephesian church for his mission. Uh, but it's in this context of spiritual warfare that we've been, that we've been reading about. So uh, let's just read beginning at verse number 10 again. Uh, Ephesians 6:10. Finally, be strong in the Lord <clears throat> and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We, this is what we looked at last week. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And now our text for this morning. So pray, pray not only for yourself, but pray for all the saints. And then finally, pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus and beloved, uh, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts." We have here a prayer for or, or uh, a request from the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian church for them not only to pray for themselves, that was the, the mindset that they need to keep, that you're in a spiritual battle and you need to have an alert mindset, which is having a prayerful disposition at all times, relying on the power of God because we are in enemy territory. But he doesn't just end there. We, we ended last week by saying not only are we to pray for ourselves, but, but part of the reason we are uh, in our vision statement saying that we want to grow disciples of Jesus Christ in community is because we also need to be praying for one another. It's not just about me being able to stand in this spiritual battle, but I need to be concerned about you and you need to be concerned about me. And the primary way that we express that concern for one another in this spiritual battle is that we pray for each other, pray for all the saints of God. But then Paul seamlessly goes right into a request and pray for me also, uh, Paul had a unique work uh, that he was given as, as a missionary uh, and as an apostle to take the gospel into the known world. And that's what he's praying here for. He, he says, pray for me, one, that words may be given to me when I open my mouth, uh, that I might boldly proclaim the mystery of God for which I am an ambassador. And again, he says that I, should, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
You remember the context in which Paul is writing this letter, right? Paul has been uh, arrested and is currently imprisoned. In fact, you see this here. He says, I'm, I'm an ambassador uh, for the Lord, for the kingdom of God. I'm an ambassador in chains. Paul was arrested. Paul was going to be, uh, was traveling from place to place on his way uh, to stand before uh, the emperor to, to give an account and, and to give a defense, uh, not only of what he was doing, but a defense of the gospel. And so he's urging them, pray for me, pray that I would have boldness, pray that I wouldn't be scared, uh, pray, pray that I would know what words I ought to say and that as I'm speaking them, that God would give me a boldness to declare them. And so it is a prayer here. Uh, for, uh, for missions, really. Paul was given this, this great task. Now, what I want us to see is that this prayer for missionaries and this prayer for missions that we are called to uh, is given in the context of spiritual warfare. And the reason that it is is because Paul, Paul sees uh, the connection between missions the, the act of going and declaring the gospel and spiritual warfare. Uh, Paul understood that there was a connection between these, these two things. He sees his missionary work, especially his imprisonment and the defense of the gospel before the political powers of his day as intricately, intricately connected to spiritual warfare. That's why he, he, he asked for prayer in the context of spiritual warfare. You see, Paul could have concluded, he could have said, okay, uh, we're done with that section. Uh, We're moving on now, and I want to conclude, and I want to ask you to also pray for me. Uh, But but he ties these things seamlessly together. I think we've got to be asking the question, why is it that that Paul would see the the missionary work that he was called to, why would he see that as connected to spiritual warfare? This morning, what what I want us to see is is these two ideas. One, that, that missionary work is an act of spiritual warfare. Okay? And it's important, and it's an important work. And then secondly, I want us to see that we are connected to that, that we have an, a, a, an indispensable part to play in that missionary work. We're not missionaries, although we might pray that the Lord would raise up missionaries from our church, people who would go and, and preach the gospel in other places. Uh, but most of us are not called to do that. But, but yet we still have uh, an intricate, indispensable part to play in this warfare, this, this work of missionary uh, proclamation. Uh, and that is that we are called to pray for those who, like the Apostle Paul, are taking the gospel all over the world. Now, let's look at those one at a time. The, the first point is this, that the work, missionary work, is part of spiritual warfare. And that's why Paul connects these things. Missions is, I think, where Jesus shows his glorious victory over Satan. Missions is one of the places where Jesus most clearly demonstrates his victory over Satan, who is his defeated enemy. Now, I want us to walk through some passages and and just kind of outline this quickly. Uh, But but this first point, we we need to understand something of the context. You see, when, when God created the world, Uh, He said to Adam and Eve that they were to have dominion over the earth. 
So the earth was the Lord's. The Lord, of course, God was reigning over the earth, and yet he had given humanity uh, a place of authority, a place of dominion. Uh, Human beings served as sort of vice regents or rulers under God, and they were to rule this world. They were to have dominion over it. But what we find very early in Scripture is that Satan comes and tempts Adam and Eve. And, and part of what happens when he tempts them to sin is not just that they fall into sin and become sinful. We, we know that. But, but part of what happens there as well is that Satan usurps that authority that God had given to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve submit to the serpent in a sense. And so Satan really becomes what the Bible says, the God of this world. He's given authority over this world, really not given as much as he seeks to usurp it. That's why and we're going to look at several texts really quickly, uh, and so they're on the screen for you. But, but just notice the way the Bible talks about Satan. L- look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Who is the God of this world? It is Satan. Satan is the God of this world. We could look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We, we, we preach through this, this verse, and, and he says this, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following who? The prince, the, the ruler of the power of the air. Again, talking about Satan. Or you could look to places like the Gospels where Satan comes and tempts Jesus. Do you remember the temptation of of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8? The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, this is what Satan says to Jesus, To you I will give all this authority and all their glory. Why? For it has been delivered to me. It has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Now, what's going on there? If, if, if Satan, what he was saying, had no truth at all, if Satan in no way had authority over this world, Jesus would have just simply said, Satan, you're out of your mind. You don't have any authority. You don't have power. But, but what Satan is, true, is saying is true in a sense. The, the authority, of the dominion over this world has been handed over to me. That's why the Bible can call Satan the God of this world, the prince, the ruler of the power of the air. And so he says, if you'll worship me, you, you can have it. It'll be yours. I'll just simply give it to you. Just, just worship me. Or how about 1 John five nineteen? Another place uh, that talks about the dominion that Satan has. He says this, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world, the world of people lies underneath the power of the evil one, the wicked one. He is their ruler. He has dominion. But what we see in the gospel This is another way to think about the gospel. This is another dimension of the gospel, which we've talked about in in actually in Ephesians. Uh, And it is this. Not only 
when, when Jesus died and resurrected and ascended to heaven, he didn't just bring us forgiveness of our sins. There's other dimensions. There's other things that he was doing. And one of those things was that he was regaining for humanity. He was regaining that place of dominion and authority and power in this world. Uh, he was saying to Satan, basically, uh, I'm not going to bow down and worship you in order for you to give me this dominion. I'm just going to take it from you. I'm going to defeat you, and, and, and I am going to be once more the king of this world. Now, God never lost authority or dominion over the world, but what we're talking about is that Jesus, as the God-man, regained the dominion that was given to humanity. So we see this, and we preached about this in Ephesians 1.19. You could look there. Uh, he's, Paul's saying he's praying for the church, and he says, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And what did he do when he raised Jesus from the dead? That's not the end of the story. Uh, so, so often we as Christians end at the resurrection and then three days later Jesus resurrected, but that's not the end of the gospel. The gospel continues on. Forty days later, he ascended into heaven and he seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you notice those words there? He, he seated him in heavenly places far above all rule, far above all authority and power and dominion. Those are the same words in our text, when, when he calls us uh, to, to be vigilant and to put on the armor of God, he says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against who? Principalities and powers and dominion and authority. It's, it's many of these same exact words. And so in this battle, we need to see that Jesus has been seated above all of those authorities. He's been seated above Satan. So you're getting the picture Satan usurps this authority. He becomes the God of this world. He's exercising dominion over the world. And then when the Messiah comes, he comes and he dies and he rises again. He defeats Satan and then he ascends to heaven and he regains that place of authority. Now, here's the important part. This is why missions is connected to spiritual warfare. This, this is the link and it is this. Uh, all over the New Testament, the, the command for us to go and proclaim the gospel is connected to the fact that Jesus is king. He's not just king over Israel. He's not just king of his Old Testament people. He is king over the entire world. And so what we are doing when we go out and proclaim the gospel, when missionaries go to China and to Africa and all over the world and proclaim the gospel, yes, they're inviting sinners to be saved, but they're also proclaiming Jesus is Lord, he's the king of kings. He's the king of all people. He has the dominion and the authority. And we are announcing that. We are proclaiming that. The apostle Paul, who is about to stand uh, before the political leaders of his day, one of the things he's going to go and declare to them is, hey, emperor 
you're not the emperor over everything. You're not the ruler of this world. You may, you may rule over the known world at this time, but listen, there's a ruler who is above you. It's Jesus Christ. He has defeated Satan. He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And so it is this exercise of proclaiming the kingship of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at three passages really quickly that link these two things. Jesus is king. And because Jesus is king, go and do missions. Go and proclaim his kingship. Look at John 12, 31. We're, we're getting here at the, the time where Jesus is about to be crucified. And he says this, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The ruler of this world, again, is Satan, the, the devil. He's about to be cast out. He's about to be pushed out of power through the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension. Satan's about to lose his place of dominance. And then notice what he says here. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Satan's losing power. And what's going to happen as a result of Satan losing power, uh, the God of this world being pushed out of this place of authority, what's going to happen when I'm lifted up? Through, through the cross, when I'm lifted up through the resurrection, when I'm lifted up through the ascension and seated at the right hand of God, I will draw all mankind to myself. Uh, this is uh, an understanding here that, that, uh, that all the peoples of the earth will come to submit to Jesus as king. Not just Jewish people, uh, but Gentiles and Romans and Americans and uh, people of all nations and tribes and kindreds and tongue will be drawn to the Lord, to Christ the King. We see this also in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus sent out the 72 disciples to go proclaim the gospel. And then when they came back, they were amazed at the fact that they had power over demons. They were casting out demons and proclaiming the gospel. And they were amazed that, that even the demons were subject to them. And notice what Jesus said. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Here he's saying, look, when you go out and proclaim the gospel, what, what's happening? I'm seeing Satan fall from this place of authority, from, from this place of dominion. He's being cast out. And John, he says, the, the God of this world is being cast out. And, and now he says in, in a different imagery, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's been cast down. He's, he's no longer in this place of dominion. But, but why is it? How is the connection here? Well, it's when they go out and proclaim the gospel. And he says, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Uh, I've got some snakes back here if y'all want to handle them. And we could, we could do that. No, uh, this is not talking about handling snakes and, and things like that. What this is talking about is, is that uh, I saw the look on Mike's face. He was like, I think he was game. He was ready to go. So, uh, no, uh, this is not, this is a, a metaphor. Who is the serpent? Satan is the serpent all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And, and he's saying, I've given you power to tread over him. As you go out, in other words, and proclaim the gospel, you're going to be victorious. The, the ruler of this age, the God of this world, he's been cast down. 
Jesus is the king. And nothing can stop those who go out and proclaim the gospel. Can Satan oppose us? Absolutely. And he will fiercely oppose those who go out and do the work of missions. But we need to understand that that Christ has authority. Now, one more passage you might be familiar with is Matthew 28, 18. The, The Great Commission. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All right, so we know the Great Commission, go make disciples. But do you see the the rationale? Do you see what, what Jesus says? He says, the reason you can go and make disciples of all the nations is precisely because I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Your, your, your victory, your success is guaranteed because I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Therefore, because that is now a true reality, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Do you see the, the connection here? The advancement of the gospel is the way that Christ demonstrates his authority over Satan. When when people come out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, they're leaving the kingdom of Satan and coming into the kingdom of Christ. He is the king. That's what's happening when when missions occurs. When when this occurs, he's showing, Christ is showing Satan that that he didn't need to bow down and worship him in order to be given the kingdoms of this world. No, he would take them by force. Listen to Colossians 1.13. What happens when a person is saved? Well, we know their sins are forgiven, right? We, we know all of that. Uh, but there's another way to think about it. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, when a person is saved, yes, their sins are forgiven, they're washed away, but something else is occurring as well. They're leaving the kingdom of darkness and they're coming to the kingdom of Christ. Christ is flexing his muscle. He's showing Satan, Satan, you you have no authority. You have no power. You're done. You're finished. I am the king. And, And so the gospel preachers, missionaries go out and proclaim the gospel and people come into the kingdom of Christ. That is the connection between missions and spiritual warfare. We've seen this all throughout history. We see it in our day when when missionaries go into places like China. Satan tries to stop it with all of his power. Uh, Everything he can muster. He he orchestrates all the political power of the Communist Party so that they they ban religious practice. They, They can make it a crime for Christians to gather and worship they throw into jail all those who are not compliant. That's happening in, in our own day. And then Jesus says, watch this. And he spreads the gospel all over China through, through house churches and people who are, who are going underground just to, 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 to be able to continue to preach. That happens because Jesus has been victorious. Satan marshals all of his forces in order to stop it. But guess what? He can't stop it because Jesus is the king. This is what's happening to Paul. Paul knows that Satan's going to oppose him. He knows that uh, we could read of all that the Apostle Paul went through 
but, but we see that the Jewish leaders and, and behind the Jewish leaders, the, the Roman power, uh, they, they try to stop the advancement of the gospel. They're trying to stop Paul. Stop speaking in Jesus' name. Let's arrest him. Let's throw him into jail. Let, let's get rid of him. But, but no matter what, they're not going to be able to stop the advancement of the gospel. It continues to be victorious. With all the, the power, uh, with all that power, the gospel continues. And just think about this. The Roman Empire is long gone. The Jewish religious leaders of Paul's day that tried to oppose him, all of those are long gone. They, they've fallen by the wayside. But the kingdom of Christ continues. 2,000 years later, because Christ is victorious. He is the King. We know that Satan is going to oppose us. He, he, he will oppose us at every turn. And, and sometimes that opposition will be severe. Sometimes that opposition may even cost people their lives. We think about Jim Elliott and, and the five brothers who went with him to go preach the, the, the gospel in Ecuador. And the fact that they lost their lives as they tried to take the gospel to these unconverted people who had never heard it before. Uh, they, they laid down their life. They sacrificed their life. And that was the opposition of the evil one coming against them, trying to stop the spread of the gospel. But guess what? Even after those five missionaries died, the gospel still went into Ecuador. It still went in among this very tribe. And there are people today who are there who are believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are part of the kingdom of Christ because Jesus is king. So the work of missions is, is going forward, but Satan will oppose it. Now here is where we come in. You and I, play an indispensable part in this cosmic battle. You think, well, I don't really see where I play. I'm not a missionary. I God has not called me to do mission work. I mean, what, what is it that I can really do? And yet what we recognize here is that Paul wanted the Ephesian church to see you've got a part to play as well. Paul wanted them to see, hey, this isn't just about me going and preaching the gospel. No, I need you. Paul wanted the Ephesian church to see them to see them personally involved in this battle. And I want us to see ourselves, I want us to see Union Baptist Church as involved in the work of missions, which is this great spiritual battle. Well, how is it that we are called to be a part? Maybe, maybe there are some of you that God might call to do mission work. God might call you to go out and to be those who are sent into the world to go spread the message of the gospel. Uh, but far more likely for most of us, the reality is simply this, that we are called to be those who are supporting and sending, especially through our prayers, those who are going, those who are doing the work of missions. I think uh, there's, there's a bit of a gap here between maybe the original intent and, and where we are today. You know, you think, well, Paul's dead and gone. He's no longer doing mission work. And the Ephesian churches that we know of, uh, and that I know of, not, not around any longer. Uh, so, so what is this call for us? Well, simply put, it's, it's this. that I think that we should identify those who, like the Apostle Paul, although certainly with some differences, are still being faithful to go and proclaim the gospel. And we should be like the Ephesian church. We should be those who are praying for them constantly. 
You see, being a church that sends missionaries, being a mission-minded church, is not just about putting money in the offering plate. Certainly, we, we give to the cooperative program, and we give a significant portion of everything that we bring in uh, throughout, throughout our annual uh, offerings and, and tithes that are given. A, a significant portion of that goes to the North American Mission Board and then the International Mission Board. Uh, but, but being a mission-minded church is more than just putting a few dollars in the plate. Being a mission-minded church is being a church who is, who is constant in prayer for those who are going to proclaim the gospel. And so I want us to see this command or this, this, this plea for Paul. Hey, pray for me. I, I want us to see that as an urging for us to pray for those who are doing the work of missions. Now, notice this here. He says, and pray also for me uh, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. One of the things that you'll notice if you read the New Testament epistles, if you read Paul's letters, is that you'll notice that Paul often prays, or he often urges the people that he's writing to, to pray for him. You see what's going on, both in the number of times that Paul urges this, whether it's to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Thessalonians, he urges all of them, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. The reason he does that is because Paul really believes that the success of his mission in terms of human instrumentality, in terms of human means, is dependent upon the prayers of the churches. Paul doesn't take it for granted that because Jesus is king, uh, that, that he's not going to uh, have troubles and that he was just going to be successful in his ministry. No, no, God works through means. And in this instance, he works through the means of the prayers of the churches. You can see this in Thessalonians. Brothers, pray for us. Uh, and first and second Thessalonians in Romans 1530, Paul says, I appeal to you. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit to strive together with me in your prayers. Second Corinthians 811, he says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. You see, Paul understood, I'm part of this great cosmic battle. Christ is king, and I'm going out to proclaim that message, and I'm being fiercely opposed by Satan, who does not want that message uh, to be preached. And so I need the prayers of the churches in order to sustain me. I know God will help me, and God will bless me, but He's going to help and bless me through the prayers of God's people. And that's why he's urging them to this. You can see it in Philippians 1.18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul believed that God's blessing upon him in one sense, in a human sense, the human instrumentality, was dependent on the prayers of the churches. So think about that. Now let's bring that home to us, okay? Think about that in terms of the missionaries that, we're, that we've sent out. None that have been sent out directly from this church, but the missionaries that we help to, to send out uh, through, through the International Mission Board. You think about people like uh, Barry and Carolyn and Corder and uh, Josh and, and Stacy Lee Hutchins and Mark and Parker Phillips and, and all of these brothers and sisters that we have, have continued to bring up again and again and again. What, what are we doing there? 
we're recognizing that it's not just our responsibility to give so that they might be able to go financially, but, but we're recognizing that, that we bear a responsibility to pray for those brothers and sisters, particularly because God's blessing upon them in a human sense is dependent on the prayers of Union Baptist Church and, and churches like us. That's the means that God uses to bless Jerry and Sarah Howard in, in China. You, you all know, I know that you've been following the news and I'm sure that you've heard the things that are going on in China. And, and uh, Jerry and, and Sarah are there right now seeking to be faithful and to proclaim the gospel for, for the kingdom of Christ. Uh, do, you, do you understand that, that God's blessing on them is in many ways dependent on our prayers. It comes through the means of our prayers. And so as we're thinking about uh, these brothers and sisters all over the world, we don't just want to wash our hands. Well, I put some money in the offering plate. You know, I've been faithful to give to them. No, no, there, there's actually something that's actually much more important. God, God can bring support from all kinds of ways, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God can provide for his people. We should give. I don't want to downplay that. But really, one of the more important things is that we would pray for those brothers and sisters. Just as Paul is urging all of the churches, every church that he writes to, pray for me. That's not just, those aren't just throwaway words for the Apostle Paul. Paul is understanding, I need your prayers. I need the blessing of God. I'm going against Satan and all of his forces to go proclaim that Christ is victorious and to spread the kingdom of, of God. And I know Satan's going to oppose me. I know he's going to come against me. I need the help of God. And the help of God comes through your prayers. So pray for me. The help of God for Jerry and Sarah, for Mark and Parker, for Josh and Stacy Lee, and for the many, many more missionaries that we support through the cooperative program, the help that they need comes from the Lord and it comes through our prayers. We, we should see ourselves as playing a vital and indispensable role in this cosmic battle that, that we're in, in missions. This is not just about Paul and the Ephesian church. This, is, this has truths that are important for us here today. And this truth should shape us as a church. One of the things that I desire to see here at Union Baptist Church is that we really truly would be, and I don't think we are there yet, that we really and truly would be a mission-minded church. And one of the, one of the greatest markers... One of the clearest markers is that that has occurred is that we are a church who's constantly praying. Not just, not just on Sundays. We, we need to do that. And that's why we have these times where we're, where we're bringing up missionaries for a month at a time because we want you to get to know them. We want you to know their needs. We want you to, to be uh, uh, intimately aware of what's going on in their work. And we want you to know them by name so that you can pray for them on Monday and Tuesday, and Wednesday, throughout the week. This is a work that we are called to do. Paul says in Romans 10, Jared read that earlier. He said people aren't going to hear the gospel unless someone goes and preaches the gospel to them. But Paul doesn't end there, does he? Do you know that passage? Paul doesn't end there. No one is going to hear the gospel or no one's going to believe the gospel unless they hear it. No one's going to hear it unless someone preaches. And no one's going to preach unless what? Unless they are sent. Romans 10, 14. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
What does it mean to send out missionaries? What, what does it mean? Isn't it interesting that Paul adds that? They've got to be sent. They, they can't just go out. Of course, they could just go out on their own. But, but Paul recognizes they're not going to be effective doing that. They need support. They need financial support and help to be able to get to the field. But, but it's more than that. In order to send missionaries, it, it means the support of our prayers with them. And Paul understood that in a unique way. That's why he's constantly eliciting the prayers, uh, soliciting the prayers of God's people and the churches. We play a part. Missionaries cannot go unless they are sent. So what should we do? We should identify those who, like the Apostle Paul, are seeking to proclaim the gospel to unbelievers, and we should pray for them. Just simple application. Pray for missionaries. You've got to get to, to know them. You, you've got to know their needs. You've got to know what's going on in their ministry so that you can pray with knowledge. Just simply, and Lord bless all those who are on the mission field. Uh, this is, Lord, bless Josh and Stacy Lee as they have these pastors come in this week and they're training pastors who are then going to be sent all over the, the part of the world that they're in and proclaim the gospel. Pray, Lord, would you give them, uh, would you bless them? Would you help Josh to be able to teach with wisdom? And, and, and would you give him skill in the way that he trains these pastors so that they can be faithful in the gospel? That's the kind of praying we, we need to do. When we come together on Sunday mornings, this isn't just filler time. Truly enter into that prayer as we pray before the offering each week for a different missionary. Pray that the Lord would bless them. William Carey lived in the 1700s. He was a missionary. He, he published a work, and that, in that time, uh, people didn't understand or they didn't believe uh, that, that the Great Commission was given for the churches today. Matthew 28 that we read earlier. They thought that was just given to the apostles. And, and they would argue that we really don't have a responsibility to go to India or China or anywhere and preach the gospel. But, but William Carey wrote an important work that basically argued, no, that the Great Commission's for today. It's for us, and we have a responsibility to go and preach the gospel. So he, along with some of his friends uh, in England, founded the Baptist Missionary Society, in 1793, he himself, William Carey, went to India and he served there until 1834. This is what we, we call really the beginning of the modern missions movement. One of the men who was instrumental in that work of founding the, the, the Baptist Mission Society uh, was Andrew Fuller. And, and he helped Carey, William Carey, he helped support him and pray for him and raise funds for him. Carey and Fuller understood that in order for a missionary to go, that they really must be sent. They can't just go on their own. They need the financial support and the prayer of God's people. And so this is uh, from an article on the IMB's website. This is what it says. It says, before leaving India, Carey fam famously told Fuller, I will go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. Fuller held the ropes by serving as president of the Baptist Mission Society from its founding until his death in 1814. He traveled all over the British Isles raising funds and preaching missions-related sermons. The missionaries in India and other early fields could concentrate on their ministry in the field because they knew Fuller was advocating for them back home. You see, all of us, is called, all of us are called to the work of missions. You may not be called to go to India, 
or to go to China or go to Malawi. You may not be called to go to these places, but you are called in this text to participate in that going by supporting and praying for those who do go. We need to heed the, the warning or, or, or the invitation of William Carey who said, I'll go down the pit. I'll be the one who goes if you'll hold the ropes. So often when it comes to mission works, we're, we're, we can cheer them and be like, oh yeah, that's great, you go, that's wonderful, we'll send a check once in a while. But, but we need to be those who are holding the ropes for these brothers and sisters who have given up so much to go and proclaim the gospel. We need to be a praying, mission-minded church. What should we pray? And we'll close with this. What, what should we pray for our missionaries. We, we see this in the text. One is from Colossians 4, which is the, the twin epistle of Ephesians. And, and he gives a similar plea in Colossians 4 too. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with... At the same time, pray also for us that God may give us a door, an open door for the Word. So this is one of the first things you ought to pray for missionaries as you're praying for them. Uh, you ought to pray that God would give them an open door for the gospel. They're there not to dig wells. They may dig wells, but that's not the primary purpose. They're there not to do medical work. They might do medical work, but that's not the primary purpose. Missionaries that we send out are, are sent out to preach the gospel, and we should pray God give them open doors to proclaim the gospel. Uh, open up opportunities for them to be able to speak to those who don't know the truth that they might be saved. Not only should we pray for open doors, though, we ought to pray that when they have those open doors, uh, that they would be given the words to speak. He says, and also pray for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. When I open up my mouth, pray that God would give me the words to speak. Now, Paul knew the gospel. Paul knew what to say. But what he's saying here is that in these particular instances, I think all of us would, would, for the most part, know how to explain the gospel. But doesn't it take some wisdom and skill in knowing how to present that and how, and how to guide this conversation with this particular person in this particular situation to, to seek to point them to Jesus Christ? So Paul's saying, listen, pray that God would give me the words to speak when, when I open my mouth. We ought to pray that for our missionaries. Thirdly, we ought to pray for boldness. Not only that they would have the words to speak, but then when they, when they do speak those words, that they would be given boldness, that they wouldn't be afraid. Many of our brothers and sisters who are going to do mission work are, are doing it in places where, again, Satan is opposing them. Uh, the people, many of the people that they're there to preach the gospel to are not happy that they're there. And so you can imagine the difficulty it is for brothers like, like Jerry and Sarah Howard in China who know that if I tell the gospel to the wrong person, if I seek to evangelize the wrong person, I could get myself into some serious trouble here. The tendency could be, well, I'm just going to be kind of quiet about this. But Paul says, no, no, pray that God would give us boldness, which is really, he says, the way we ought to speak. The reason it's the way we ought to speak is because Christ is king. We shouldn't be afraid of these earthly powers. So pray that God would give us boldness. But then finally, notice the emphasis uh, here in verse 21. Notice what he says, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. 
Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. He's been sent to you. Paul gave them Tychicus, sent, sent him to the church at Ephesus. And you notice he says here, so that you will know how we are doing and what we're doing. I want you to be aware of what's going on. And that's where we're at here, I think, at, at Union Baptist Church. I, I think most of us would recognize, yeah, we need to pray for, for missionaries. But, but sort of the, the specific application I want us to, to get to is that we need to pray with knowledge. We need to know what's going on with Jerry and Sarah Howard. To, to my shame, I, I haven't heard any updates from them lately. I haven't reached out to them. I, I don't really know what's, what's going on with them. We need to know what's going on with Josh and, and Stacy Lee. We need to know what's going on in their ministry so that we can pray for specifics. Paul said, I, I've sent tickets to you so you can know how we're doing and what we're doing. Do, do we know how our missionaries are doing? Do we know what they're doing so that we can pray for them? One of the things I'd like for us to do uh, is, is simply to uh, appeal to you uh, that we need advocates for, for missionaries. Uh, it's a lot of work for one person to try to keep up with multiple missionaries. Uh, one of the things I'd like for, for us to see uh, is, is that people who might step up and say, you know, I, I'd like to be an advocate for a particular missionary. And what, what I mean by saying that an advocate for that missionary is simply to say, I'm going to read their newsletter every month. Most of them send out like monthly newsletters. I'm going to read that newsletter and I'm going to pray for that missionary throughout, that, throughout the month. Whatever's going on with them, whatever specific needs, I'm going to be faithful to pray for them. And then, not only that, but I'm going to share that on Wednesday night when we have our prayer meeting, in Sunday school when prayer requests are given, maybe even on Sunday mornings before the congregation to urge others to pray for them as well. And if there's a need that is there, something that we could seek to help them with, I'm going to bring that to Jared or Brother Andrew and talk to other people and say, is this something we can help with to sort of mobilize the church to be able to engage with specific needs that our missionaries have? We've tried to do that a little bit just by focusing in on a few of the missionaries that we support. But what I'd like to see is, is people who would sort of take ownership in that and say, you know, Josh and Stacy Lee in Malawi, I will be the advocate for them. I, I will be the one who prays for them. I'll be the one to let the church know what's going on with them, give updates, and encourage us to, to pray for them. And, and not only them, but all the, the missionaries that we support, and there are many more that we could come to, to learn more information about that we might be able to pray for them as Paul urges us to do this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we do ask, Lord, for those who are going uh, to preach the gospel. We, we praise you. We, we thank you, uh, Lord, that you have given Christ all the authority. Uh, we, we give you the glory right now this morning that, that uh, he is ruling and reigning and that the work of missions will be successful because Christ is seated on his throne. Nothing can stop this work. But Lord, we want to lift up those who are are being opposed by Satan in a, in a very direct way because of this work that you've given them to do. We want to ask that you would help them. We want to pray that you would give them boldness to continue to declare the gospel, even though, Lord, there, there may be consequences. Lord, I, I pray that you would give them boldness. Help them not cower away from uh, that work that you've called them to do. And I want to pray, Lord, for us as a church that you would help us to be a missions-minded kind of church. Help us to be those who are constantly in prayer for our missionaries. And we pray this in Christ's name.
Amen.